Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. For centuries, Americans have gathered together to celebrate the holidays, reaffirm family ties, and wish goodwill to all men. But this Christmas, Santa's got a brand new bag. Now you gotta listen to this, man, because this concerns you, all right? have a chance to walk off with a half million dollars, would you take it? Yeah. What do a stewardess, a gun runner, a bail bondsman, an ex-con, a federal agent, and a beach bunny have in common? You don't come in on this thing with me. You got to be prepared to go all the way. They're all chasing a half million in cash. Wouldn't even be missed. Half a million dollars will always be missed. Let him get the money and then just take it from him. She's trying to play your ass against me, huh? That was fun. Yeah, that'll be at the spot. So she and your girlfriend, that what you thought? Well, I hope you felt appropriately guilty afterwards. I did. <laughs> There's only one question. Man, I ain't getting in this trunk. You ain't gonna be in here no more than 10 minutes. Man, I ain't riding in no trunk for no minute. Who's playing who? Let's make a deal. Yeah, so what's she gonna give us? Are you gonna offer to set him up? Yeah. I'm gonna do something stupid. Pam Greer, Samuel L. Jackson, Robert Forster, Bridget Fonda, Michael Keaton, and Robert De Niro. Is she dead? I, I, I... Yes or no, is she dead? Pretty much. Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown. AK-47, when you absolutely, positively got to kill every mother in the room, except no substitutes. Nothing gets between me and my AK. <laughs> Woo! Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Jackie Brown from 1997. The studio was Miramax. The release date was December 25th, 1997. Running time, 154 minutes, and it was rated R. The budget, $12 million. The box office took in $40 million, making it the 58th ranked movie of 1997. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 87% fresh from 86 reviews. Their consensus is, although it's somewhat lackadaisical in pace, Jackie Brown proves to be an effective star vehicle for Pam Greer, while offering the usual Tarantino wit and charm. Roger Eber at the time gave it 4 out of 4 stars. Here's his review. One of the pleasures of Jackie Brown, Tarantino's new film, based on a novel by Elmore Leonard, is that everyone in the movie is smart. Whoever is smartest will live. This is a movie that proves Tarantino is the real thing, and not just a two-film wonder boy. It's not a retread of Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction, but a new film in a new style, and it evokes the particular magic of Elmore Leonard, who elevates the crime novel to a form of sociological comedy. The movie is about texture, not plot. It has a plot, all right, but not as the whole purpose of the film. In Jackie Brown, as in Pulp Fiction, we get a sense that the characters live in spacious worlds and know a lot of people. In most thrillers, the characters only know one another. The sides of the film's canvas are free to expand when it's necessary. If Tarantino's strengths are dialogue and plotting, his gift is casting. 
Pam Greer, the goddess of 1970s tough girl pictures, here finds the right note for Jackie Brown. She's tired and desperate. Robert Forster has the role of a career as the bail bondsman, matter of fact about his job in the law. He's a plausible professional, not a plot stooge. Samuel L. Jackson as Ordell does a harder, colder version of his hitman in Pulp Fiction, and once again uses the N-word like an obsession or a mantra that does get a little old. Robert De Niro, still in a longtime convict's prison trance, plays Lewis as ingratiatingly stupid. Bridget Fonda's performance is so good, it's almost invisible. Her character's lassitude and contempt coexist with the need to be high all the time. A lot of crime films play like they were written by crossword puzzle fans who fill in the easy words and then call the hotline for a solution. The solution is always abandon the characters and then end with a chase and a shootout. Tarantino leaves the hardest questions for last, hides his moves, conceals his strategies in plain view, and gives his characters dialogue that is alive, authentic, and spontaneous. You savor every moment of Jackie Brown. Those who say it's too long have developed cinematic attention deficit disorder. I wanted these characters to live, talk, deceive, and scheme for hours and hours. That's the end of Ebert's review. And there you go. Ebert pretty much summed up everything perfectly. As of 2023, when I'm recording this episode, I'd say Jackie Brown is my second favorite Tarantino film, with number one going to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, for years, it was Pulp Fiction, but Jackie Brown, with repeated viewings, for me, passed it up. That's not to say I don't very much enjoy Pulp Fiction and almost all of Tarantino's films, but we all adapt as we get older, I suppose. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So Quentin Tarantino was getting ready to make Pulp Fiction and had just read a manuscript written by Elmore Leonard entitled Rum Punch. The novel was released in 1992. Tarantino loosely agreed to make a film based on Rum Punch and actually picked up the rights to other Elmore Leonard novels, those being Freaky Deaky and Kill Shot. However, after rereading Rum Punch, Tarantino decided that that was going to be his next film after Pulp Fiction. Tarantino made two major changes to the novel, the title, and the ethnicity of the main character. Elmore Leonard loved Tarantino's screenplay and believed it was one of the best adaptations of one of his novels. It captured the essence of Elmore Leonard's writing and foundation. Tarantino didn't simply want to repeat what he did on Pulp Fiction, just like Ebert had mentioned. That's what drew him to Jackie Brown. It's a hangout film, as he puts it, and gets better with repeat viewings because you already know the plot, and you look forward to the scenes that are the hangout scenes with the characters. It's really creative filmmaking, as the film always remains fresh, and that is part of the reason I believe I now rank Jackie Brown a bit higher than Pulp Fiction. That's for me personally. Tarantino was a huge fan of Pam Greer's work in the 1970s, as she was one of the top actresses of the so-called blaxploitation era of film. And if you were around in the 1990s, there was definitely a huge retro phase of the 1970s that came back into pop culture, and Tarantino's films definitely captured that vibe. And for Greer, the film was a huge boost to revitalize her career, though she never stopped appearing in films and television shows throughout the 1980s. Tarantino actually wanted Greer for the role in Pulp Fiction, he wanted her for the Rosanna Arquette character who was living with Eric Stoltz, the drug dealer character. But Tarantino didn't feel that Stoltz's character would have the moxie to tell Pam Greer to shut up. Greer always had a presence and a power to her characters that wouldn't have worked for that particular character. But for the role of Jackie Brown, Greer was absolutely perfect for Tarantino. She was the right age, she was in her mid-40s, she was still beautiful and looked younger than her age, and could handle bad guys with her toughness, like she did with Samuel L. Jackson's character. 
She could also be vulnerable when necessary, as seen in the film. It really was perfect casting. What most of the people who have worked with Tarantino will say is that he is a huge connoisseur of film history and has almost an encyclopedic knowledge of little-known films and cult classics, and from this knowledge and love of film he implements into his own work. Tarantino also loved the work of Robert Forster, who, like Greer, hadn't been in a starring role in a film for a while prior to Jackie Brown. Again, this was the brilliance of Tarantino. He wasn't actively looking to revitalize the career of actors, just like he did with John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, but he wanted the best actors for his roles, and ultimately it worked out best for all involved. What Tarantino does is a lot like a creative general manager of a sports team who finds great players that other general managers are missing. Meaning, if you use the same movie casting directors, they all have the same list of actors they always use, and they don't go outside the box. Tarantino doesn't want to simply use actors that everyone else is using at the time, and this is what makes his films stand up. Robert Forster actually auditioned for a past Tarantino film, and that was Reservoir Dogs. He actually auditioned for the Lawrence Tierney character, Joe Cabot, but Tarantino said that eventually he believed he'd work with Forrester in the future. No surprise, Tarantino loves working with Samuel L. Jackson, as he probably delivers the dialogue written by Tarantino better than any other actor around. The two just get one another, and his intensity is just perfect for the roles he does in Tarantino films. And part of that is from his theater background. And for the role of Ordell in Jackie Brown, the whole look of the character was brought in by Jackson himself. As hot as Jackson was at this time in his career, he was a bit starstruck sharing most of the scenes with Robert De Niro. And think about it, how cool was it to have a side character be one of the most famous actors of all time? And what's great about the character that De Niro plays in Jackie Brown is how understated it is. It's less about the dialogue, and it's almost predominantly his body language and his behavior. Bridget Fonda was another actor that Tarantino wanted immediately to play the California Surfer Girl character. And Fonda loved the opportunity to play a role that was different from what she was doing prior. She really didn't even have to read for the part. Tarantino essentially gave her the role. At the time, Michael Keaton was still well-known, of course, but it had been a few years since he starred in a huge film, that being Batman Returns. Most of his other films were starring roles, but weren't major hits. Again, Tarantino wanted Keaton immediately for the role as the ATF agent, but Keaton didn't think he was right for the part. But after being convinced by Tarantino, Keaton figured out the role... And he was another perfect bit of casting for the film. And if you've ever seen the film Out of Sight, well, Keaton's character name is also Ray Nicolette. And he plays an FBI agent. Out of Sight was, of course, also an adaptation of an Elmore Leonard novel. Okay, let's get into the film. So it opens up with a song by the great Bobby Womack. And the song is, of course, across 110th Street. As we see Jackie Brown, Pam Greer walking through an airport terminal. Jackie is a flight attendant. We then cut to the apartment of Ordell Roby, played by Samuel L. Jackson, and he's a gunrunner. 
He's talking to Louis Guerra, played by Robert De Niro. He's just been released from prison and a former cellmate of Ordell's. They're watching a video showcasing high-powered machine guns, specifically women in bikinis, firing those guns. Also hanging out is Ordell's girlfriend of sorts. That's Melanie, played by Bridget Fonda, who sits around all day smoking weed. I'm a personal trainer and Miss Orange County finalist, and this And that there is, is a Tech 9, nine a little cheap-ass spray gun made out of South Miami. They retail for three eighty. I get them for two, sell them for eight. They advertise this Tech Nine as the most popular gun in American crime. Can you believe that shit? It actually says that in the little booklet that comes with it. The most popular gun in American crime. Like they proud of that shit. I love my Tech Nine. Run this up. Oh, now check out this gun here. Now this here is a Steyr Aug. Steyr Aug's a bad motherfucker. Listen. It's, it's expensive too, man. Made in Austria. Now my customers don't know shit about it, so there ain't no demand for it. And baby, I really could use me some more ice. Hold up, hold up, hold up. But let me tell you though, man, you put this bad boy in a flick, every motherfucker out there won't mind. I'm serious as a heart attack. When them Hong Kong flicks came out, Every nigga in the world had to have a 45, and they ain't want one. They want two, because all them niggas want to be the killer. But what them flicks don't tell you and what they don't know is that a 45 got a serious fucking jamming problem. Now, I try to steal my customers toward a 9mm because it's damn near the same weapon. and ain't got half the jamming problems, but you know how them niggas is out there. You can't tell them shit. They want a 45. The killer had a 45. They want a 45. Thanks, baby. Mm-hmm. Who's your partner? Mm. Cat named Mr. Walker runs a fishing boat out of Mexico. I get the merchandise to him, he gets it out to my customers on all my bulk sales anyway. Before I set that nigga up, he ain't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. Now, that motherfucker rolling in cash. Got himself a yacht with all kind of high-tech navigational shit on it. Uh, 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 here we go. AK-47, the very best there is. When you absolutely, positively got to kill every motherfucker in the room, except no substitutes. Right. Yo, Jumba, what's up? Yeah, still hanging with that stupid Chantel? Boring, isn't it? Makes it rules. Thinks he's Joe Gunn now. Well, I'm impressed. He seems to know a lot. He's just repeating shit he overheard. He's any more of a gun expert than I am. You want? Sure. It shoots 500 rounds of full metal jacket, 9mm Luger, at 1,270 feet per second. At 10 pounds, it's really heavy for such a small gun. But the to me more. really reduce muzzle rise during firing. I've never held any felt so strong. So when'd you get out of jail? Four days ago. Where at? How long? Not two months shy, four years. Four years? For what? Bank robbery. Really? Hi. Later. Shit, I'm impressed. <laughs> See what I'm talking about? Now that 
was about a man in New York wants a 9mm Smith & Wesson model 5946. And why does he want it? Because it's the same gun that nigga on New York undercover uses. Because of that nigga, I'm going to make 1250 off of this nigga. So, what's your cost? Lowest two. You serious? <laughs> I'm telling you, Lewis, start adding these motherfucking figures up. Tell me this ain't the business to be in. Got me five M60 machine guns too. Motherfuckers come straight out the Gulf War. I done already sold three of them, 20 grand a piece. Oh, wow, wow, that's good money. I'm gonna make a million dollars out of this, man. I already got a half million sitting down in Mexico. When I deliver this next load, get me another half mil. Then what? Then I'm out. Spend the rest of my life spending. Well, you gonna tell me who it is? It's Velma. Don't cry on me, bitch. Come on, what's up? Ordell and Lewis then visit Max Cherry, played by Robert Forrester, and he is a bail bondsman. Uh, Miss Gilmore, Miss Gilmore, this is Max Cherry. This is uh, Reggie's. That's right, his bail bondsman. Look. Reggie is in big trouble. I want to pick him up, and I want you to be responsible for him before I sit down. Yeah, I'd like you to make sure that he's there when I get there. And look, this is second chance for him. They don't get... That's correct. All right, so I'm counting on you to help me help your son. Thank you very much. Put him back on the line, please. All right, Reggie, we're clear on this. You got it? Good. Do yourself a really big favor and be there when I get there. How can I help you? Where can I put my ash? Use that cup there if you like. Oh, and I need me a bond for 10000 You all right out there? Yeah. Have some coffee? Go right ahead. Which one's for the car? Uh, this one right here. Use that little black thing there to turn off the alarm and unlock the door. What do I do? You ain't got to do nothing, man. Just point it at the car, push the button, you hear a little oop, oop, oop. That means the door's unlocked and the alarm's off. Get in. Okay. Play the volume loud as you want to, but don't touch my levels now. I got them set just like I like them. Okay. Ordell wants to post Bond for one of his smugglers who was arrested named Beaumont, played by Chris Tucker. Max makes a call and gets a lowdown on Beaumont. He was caught with the guns, and he was already on probation, which means he could get 10 years for this latest arrest. Now, why is Ordell willing to bail out Beaumont? Let's just say it isn't out of the goodness of his heart, as we discover that night. That's the house. Sure. She been a factor, nigga. I'm coming up. Come on up, nigga. It's over. You know, my uh, 
pleasure of living demands that I have a good-looking woman, that I'm with a good-looking woman. I couldn't go out with a woman old enough to be my wife. Oh, D! <laughs> Look at you and your free ass. What's up, man? Hey, Come no, here, boy. Give me a motherfucking hug. I know you coming by. <laughs> yeah, my nigga. <laughs> looking out, man. I don't know what to say, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh-huh. Who was there for your ass, You huh? was there for Who? You. Who? You, Who? nigga, you. You goddamn right, see? That's how that shit works. You get your ass in trouble, I get your ass out. That's my motherfucking job. And I don't mind telling you, nigga, it's steady work. <laughs> Hey, look here, man. I'm still scared to this motherfucker OD. They talking like they serious as hell. Give me time for that machine gun shit. Oh, come on, man. They just trying to put a fright in your ass. If that's what they doing, they done did it. How old is that machine gun shit, huh? About three years. Three years? Man, that's an old crime, man. They ain't got room in the joint for all these niggas out here killing people now. How they gonna find room for you? Ain't what they telling me. That's why they call it fucking with you. And let me tell you how we gonna retaliate. All right? Tomorrow, I'm gonna pick you up, take you over to Century City, introduce you to my lawyer. And let me tell you something about my lawyer. This brother's name is Stassen Goins, and this nigga is a junkyard dog. He my own personal Johnny Cochran. Matter of fact, he kicked Johnny Cochran's ass. And like Johnny Cochran, this nigga hate cops. I'm serious, man. He lived to fuck with the police. Now, as a favor, I had him look at your case. And he said, you ain't got shit to worry about. They just fucking with you. So we're going to sick the junkyard dog on their ass and make them stop fucking with you. Hmm? Good looking out, man. Hmm? Good looking out. Come on in, man. No, no, Come no, on, no, man. Let's uh, celebrate. Uh, 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 look here. I'm really supposed to be somewhere. Matter of fact, I was kind of hoping you could run with me. What you mean? <laughs> you know, man. I hate to be the kind of nigga that do a nigga a favor and then bam, hit the nigga up for a favor in return, but I got to be that kind of nigga. What? Wait, wait, what you want? I need a favor, nigga. That requires me to go out tonight? Just a bit. Oh, you know what? I plan on going no place tonight, man. It is late as hell, man. I'm home, I'm high, man. Come on. Uh-huh. And why are you home, huh? You home because I spent $10,000 to get your ass home. That's the way I feel it. I got a little problem, all right? I need some help. You can help me out. Now, come on. Go on in the house. Throw some shit on. Come on. Let's walk out to the car with you. Come on. Ready, man. What's the problem? It ain't no problem, man. It's more like a situation. You remember them three M60 machine guns I sold last year at the five I got? Yeah. I'm going to sell the other two tonight. There's this group of Koreans over in Koreatown that's starting this little neighborhood watch thing. And they need some weapons so they can show the neighborhood niggas they mean business. Now, I'm gonna sell them the other two machine guns, all right? Problem is, I ain't never done business with these Koreans before. And I ain't worried, because by and large, Asians are very dependable. You know, they don't want no trouble. And you might argue with them about price and shit, but you ain't got to worry about them shooting in the back, you know what I'm saying? But I got me a rule. Never do business with people you ain't never done business with before without backup. And that's why I need you. Backup. Now look, all you got to do is lay in here and hold on to this motherfucker, all right? I'm gonna tell him I'm going in the trunk to show him the goods. When I open the trunk, you pop up and rack this motherfucker. Man, fuck that shit, I ain't finna shoot nobody. I ain't saying nothing about you shooting nobody. All you got to do is hold on to it. They'll get the idea. Man, you must be out of your fucking mind if you think I'm finna get in this dirty-ass trunk. We ain't going nowhere but to Koreatown, man. You ain't gonna be in here no more than 10 minutes. 
Man, I ain't riding in no goddamn trunk for no minute, man. Why I can't ride up front with you? You can't ride up front with me. The surprise element is 90% of it. I'm sorry, man, but I ain't getting no goddamn trunk. I can't believe you do me like this. Do you like what, man? I just ain't climbing in no goddamn dirty-ass trunk, man. I got a problem with small places. No, well, I got a problem with spending $10,000 on ungrateful peanut-head niggas to get them out of jail, but I did it. And how small was that jail cell, motherfucker? Look, man, I know I owe you. You got to bring all if this If you up. owe me, then get your ass in this trunk. Man, I want to help you, but I won't be locked in no goddamn trunk or no car. You think I want to spend ten thousand dollars on your ass, huh? Man, I know. Do you, you think I wanted to out. spend ten thousand dollars on your ass? Of course you yes did, no? man. But you, nigga, get in the but trunk. But that's the only way I could help you, right? So that's what I did. Now look, man. All I'm asking you to do is get in the trunk, hold this fucking shotgun, and point it at these bullet heads when I hold it. You catch a right? nigga off guard with this shit. Look here, look here, look here. I tell you what. When we get through fucking with these Koreans. Me and you go to Roscoe Chicken and Waffle on me. Think about it now. That skull special, smothered in gravy and onions, side of red beans and rice and greens. <laughs> That's some good eating. Man. <sighs> exactly how long I gotta be in this motherfucker? And hey, you said 10 minutes. Cordell drives to a secluded location, then stops, shoots and kills Beaumont, who is laying in the trunk. Essentially, Ordell didn't want Beaumont to spill what he knows if the cops try to cut him a deal to lighten his sentence. Ordell knows he would likely spill his guts, and so he eliminates the issue before Beaumont would even have the chance to name names. Ordell then meets with Lewis to explain what he just did. And I already caught that show. <laughs> I got some for your eyes only shit to show you. Why don't you step outside? Who's that? That's Beaumont. Who's Beaumont? An employee I had to let go. What'd he do? He put himself in a position where he was gonna have to do 10 years in prison. That's what he did. If you know Beaumont, you know ain't no goddamn way he can do 10 years. If you know that, and you know Beaumont's gonna do anything Beaumont can to keep from doing them 10 years, including telling the federal government any and every motherfucking thing about my black ass. Now that, my friend, is a clear-cut case of him or me. And you best believe it ain't gonna be me. The main reason Ordell showed Lewis the body of Beaumont is to try to show that if Lewis decides to work with Ordell, Lewis better not get caught by the police or try to double-cross Ordell. We then cut to Jackie Brown, who is in the parking garage of the airport about to go home. Before she gets to her car, she is stopped by Detective Mark Dargis, played by Michael Bowen, and an ATF agent named Ray Nicolette. That's Michael Keaton. Miss Brown! Hi, I'm Detective Mark Dargis, LAPD. Can I ask what you have in that bag? 
The usual stuff. You know, I'm a flight attendant for Cabo Air. Can I uh, help out here? Who's this? Sorry, this is Special Agent Ray Nicolette with alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Oh, really? May I see some ID? Yeah, sure. Would you mind if we just took a look in that bag? <laughs> Do I mind? Do I have a choice? Yeah. You have the right to say no. No. And I have the right to make you wait here with Ray while I go get a warrant. If I don't want to go to all that trouble, I'll just take you in on suspicion right now. Suspicion of what? Uh, can I say something? He just wants to peek inside the bag for a minute. I'll keep my eye on him so he doesn't take anything. Oh, yeah. Thanks a lot. Oh, bad knees. You have a good flight? It's a shitty flight down to Cabo. I went down there one time with Susan, my wife. Fucking turbulence was unbelievable. Hey, can I look in this envelope? Yeah. <laughs> Damn. I'd say there's about, oh, uh, $50,000 here. What would you say, Ray? Looks like about 50,000 from here. This your money? What if I say no? Well, you should know if you bring in anything over 10,000, you have to declare it. You forget or what? You could get a $250,000 fine plus two years in prison. Now you want to talk to us about this or do you want to talk to customs? I'm not saying another word. Jackie, I hope you don't mind if I call you Jackie. Those guys down in customs, they're a bunch of fucking pricks. Excuse me, but they are. I don't know, there's something about that job just makes those people really hard to get along with. Now, you can go down and you can talk with those guys who are really suspicious and just really disagreeable human beings, or you can talk with a couple of good-hearted guys like Mark and myself. It's up to you. So let's take a look here at the file on Jacqueline Brown. According to this, this isn't the first time that you've run afoul of the law. In 1985, while a stewardess for Delta, you were busted while carrying drugs for a pilot? The pilot was my husband and I got off. You mean they offered you a deal and you grabbed it? He did time, you did probation. I didn't hear you ask permission to smoke in my office. May I smoke? No, you may not. So you get off with a slap on the wrist, but all this criminal activity fucks up your shit for good with the big airlines. Cut to 13 years later, you're 44 years of age, you're flying for the shittiest little shuttle fucking piece of shit Mexican airline that there is. Well, you make what, $13,000 a year? I make 16,000 plus benefits. You've been in the service industry 19 years and all you make is 16,000 plus benefits? Didn't exactly set the world on fire, did you, Jackie? <laughs> Jackie, you're a good lawyer. Can she afford a good one's more like it? Otherwise, you'll be in civil brand three weeks before the public defender gets around to you. Hey, Jackie, do you know a guy named Beaumont Livingston? Yeah? No? Because he knows you. Well, he knew you. He didn't know anybody now. He's dead. They found him in the trunk of a car this morning. Shot. Twice. Once in the chest. Once in the head. There you go. So I guess I'm wondering, if you don't know Beaumont, 
Why do you suppose Beaumont knows you? <clears throat> Look, Miss Brown, we don't give a fuck about you. You know who we want. If you cooperate, you tell us what we want to know, we'll help you get out of this. And if you refuse to cooperate and you continue to cop a shit attitude like you're doing now, we will give you to customs and they will take you to court. And with your prior, the judge will give you two years. Now, you'll probably only end up serving a year and some change, but if I was a 44-year-old black woman desperately clinging on to this one shitty little job that I was fortunate enough to get, I don't think that I'd think I had a year to throw away. So let's start again now, shall we? Who in Mexico gave you this money, and who in America were you bringing it to? I'm not saying another goddamn word. <clears throat> I'd like your uh, permission to look through this again so we'll know exactly how much we're talking about here. Sure, go ahead. All right, let's see what else is in there. You mind? Beauty case. Mm -hmm. What's in it? Beauty products. Alarm clock. Glass case. Birth control. What's that? My diet shit. Let's see what else is in there. Here. 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 What's this? What's this shit? But Jackie won't talk, and she ends up getting locked up because Ray finds a bag of coke stashed in the envelope full of cash they found in her bag. Jackie has a court hearing, and the judge sets the bond at $10,000. Also sitting in the back of the courtroom is Ordell, and Ordell's next stop is back to Max for some more bail bond business. After some haggling, Ordell puts up $1,000 Max needs in collateral in order to post bond for Jackie. Ms. Brown? Yes. I'm Max Cherry, your bail bondsman. I could give you a lift home if you like. really a bail bondsman? Well, who do you think I am? I showed you my card in there. Can I see your ID? Are you serious? Who paid my bond? Riddell? In cash. Max and Jackie stop for drinks, and Jackie explains what she's up against. 
No thanks, I quit three years ago. Gain weight? Ten pounds. I take it off and put it back on. <laughs> That's why I don't quit. I can't fly him. I have a bitch of a time trying to find my brand. You know, the other day I figured out that I must have written about 15,000 bonds since I've been in the business. I figure about 80% of those are at least drug-related, so if you want, I could help you figure out your options. So far, they told me if I cooperate, I'll get probation, maybe. Or if I stand mute, I can get as much as five years. Does that sound right? I'd say that if they try you and convict you, you won't get more than a year and a day. Now, that's state time, prison. But they won't want to do that. They'll offer you simple possession, a couple of months of county time, and a year or two of probation. Do you happen to know who put the dope in your bag? Yeah, but that's not what this is about. They were waiting for my ass. They knew about the money. They even knew the exact amount. What did they want to know? Who gave him the money and who I was giving it to. And they found this guy in the trunk of a car with his head blown off. They said it was him who told him about me. That would be Omar Livingston. How do you know about him? I wrote him on Monday. They found him dead on Tuesday. Well, they'll pick up his bond. Same as you. Ten thousand dollars. Back about eighteen and twenty-five. Jackie knew she was in trouble, but Max confirmed it with informing her that Ordell picked up both bonds. Max drops off Jackie at her place, and Ordell is waiting for her, ready to repeat what he did to Beaumont. How are you doing, Miss Jack? Come on in. You got some booze? I got some vodka in the freezer. Got some OJ? Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you be a good hostess and hook a brother up a screwdriver? Sure. Well, you gonna thank me? For what? Who the hell you think got your ass out of jail? The same guy that put my ass in jail. Thanks a lot. Hey, you got caught with blow. That's your business. It wasn't mine. What? Oh, shit. <laughs> I bet that was that present Mr. Walker was sending Mel. Yeah. If you didn't put it in there, he must have. Damn, that shit wasn't called for, baby. I'm sorry. Got to ask you a whole shitload of questions about it, huh? And all that money, where it came from. Probably asked you who you was bringing it to, too. They asked. And you said? I want to talk to my lawyer. You sure you didn't get nervous and um, let something slip? I mean, if you did, you know, I ain't mad at you. I just gotta know. 
You ain't asking the right questions. You should be asking why they picked me up. They were waiting for me. They knew about the money and they knew the exact amount. They um, tell you how they happen to come by this information? Beaumont Livingston? I knew it. I knew it. They even asked me if I knew Mr. Walker. Yeah? I didn't tell him anything about it. My name come up? You ain't say nothing about me. Mm -mm. Oh, that's mighty noble of you. They tell you what happened to this Beaumont fella? Yeah, they told me. Yeah. Somebody must have been real mad at old Beaumont. Else they pretty scared about what he might say to keep from doing some time. Yeah, I bet they asked you a whole shitload of questions. And you ain't give them no kind of answer? Mm. You scared of me? You got any reason to be nervous around me? Is that what I think it is? What do you think it is? I think it's a gun pressed up against my dick. Well, you thought right. Now take your hands from around my throat, nigga. What the hell's wrong with you, Jackie? Shut the fuck up and don't you move. Oh, what is this? What the fuck is hey, this, Hey, huh? hey, hey, now that ain't got nothing to do with you. I carry that all the time. You've been talking to them police too much. Oh, the police didn't try and strangle my ass. Oh, come on, girl. You know I was just playing with oh, you. Oh, well, I ain't playing with you. I'm going to unload both of these motherfuckers if you don't do what I tell you to do. You understand what I'm saying? Jackie, stop acting crazy. Do you understand what the fuck I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, woman, damn. Now sit your ass down on that sofa. See? See police start fucking with your mind. Start pitting black against black. That's how they do. You know, been doing it since the beginning. Shut your raggedy ass up and sit the fuck down. <sighs> and put your hands behind your head. Come on, this gets silly now. Oh, silly? You want to see some motherfucking silly? If I have to tell you to shut up one more time, I'm going to shut you up. I just came over here to talk to you. To talk? The way I see it, you and me got one motherfucking thing to talk about. One thing. And that's what you are willing to do for me. I can get your lawyer. Oh, no, L let's be realistic. Now, sooner or later, they're going to get around to offering me a plea deal. And you know that. That's why you came here to kill me. <laughs> you come over here oh, to no, kill you. Okay. It's okay. Now I forgive you. Now let's say, if I tell on you, I walk. If I don't, I go to jail. Uh -huh. I want $100,000 in an escrow account in my name if I'm convicted up to a year or put on probation. Now if I have to do more than a year, you pay another $100,000. I can do that. But you know I got that problem and all my money is in, in Mexico. Right. Well, I've been thinking about that too. And I got me an idea. Um, uh, well, let me hear that.
We friends again. You point that motherfucking gun somewhere else. I'll talk to the cops tomorrow and tell you if it's on. All right. The reason Jackie had a gun is that she took it from Max's glove compartment when she was initially looking for cigarettes after being bailed out of jail. Max arrives at Jackie's apartment the next morning to retrieve the gun. Would you like some coffee? If you're having some. I am. Come on in. Why don't you make yourself at home? You know, just, you know, have a seat. You get a chance to use it? Oh, I felt a lot safer having it. Oh, the milk went bad while I was in jail. Black's fine. Cool. Would you uh, care to hang on to it for a while? It wouldn't be legal, but uh, it makes you feel better, I guess. Well, thanks. I got one now. You went out this morning and bought a gun? What? I didn't hear you. You went out this morning and bought a gun? Well, let's say I got one now, OK? Somebody loan it to you? Yeah. All right, we're on. Might be a little black, man. Do you like to hear some music? Sure. Cool. You know, I couldn't wait to get home last night and wash the jail out of my hair. Looks nice. Thanks. You never got into the whole CD revolution? Oh, I got a few, but I can't afford to start all over again. I mean, I've invested too much time and money in my albums. Yeah, but you can't get new stuff on records. I don't get new stuff that often. That was a nice job, as always, by Tarantino, including music into various scenes. And who knew? Over 25 years later, vinyl is, of course, the best way to get music physically. So Jackie continues her conversation with Max, and eventually she meets with Mark and Ray at the police station. What Jackie is going to do is act like she's working with the police, but convinces Wardell she's going to smuggle a half a million back from Mexico for him. It's not really something I think about. Really? Oh, I, I guess I got a little sensitive about my hair a few years ago. started falling out, so, you know, I did something about it. How'd you feel about that? I feel fine with it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. I did it to feel better about myself, and, you know, I do. I look in the mirror. Looks like me. Yeah, but it's different for men. You know, I can't really feel too sorry for you in this department. I bet that except for possibly an afro, you look exactly the way you did at 29. Well, my ass ain't the same. Bigger? <laughs> yeah. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Something else worry you? 
always feel like I'm starting over. How many pounds you said you're out? 15,000. Is that a lot? It's plenty. Well, I've flown over 7 million miles and I've been waiting on people for 20 years. And after my bus, the best job I could get was with Cabo Air, which is the worst job you could get in this industry. You know, I make 16,000 a year, plus retirement benefits that ain't worth a damn. And with this arrest hanging over my head, Max, I'm scared. And if I lose this job, I gotta start all over again, and I ain't got nothing to start over with. I'll be stuck with whatever I can get. And that shit is more scary than Ordell. Hey, hey, great, you're here. Yeah. Hey, Jackie, how you doing? Hi. Can I have a word outside with Ray for a minute? Oh, sure. Take right. your time. Um, Let's be a minute. Okay, may I smoke? Absolutely. Take right. oh, She wants to make a deal. Oh, yeah? She yeah. sounds scared? Yeah, she almost sounds scared. What's she want? She wants to go back to work. Oh, yeah? So what's she going to give us? She hasn't gone into specifics yet. She's been waiting for you to get here. Ah, she knows it's my case, right? Well, she hasn't said it, but she's not stupid. She's she knows it's you who wants her. Let's go. Cool. <laughs> Sorry to keep you waiting. Now, what can we do for you? I need permission to leave the country so I can keep my job. Huh. We can look into that. I need it tomorrow. If I don't show up for work tomorrow, I'm fired. Well, you know what we want. If I'm working, I can help you. Help us do what, Jackie? Help you get Odell Roby. Help us now you do know him. He never asked if I did or not. You're telling us now that you do know him. Of course I do. I deliver money for him. Oh, shit. You know how he makes his money? He sells guns. You ever see him sell guns? No. How do you know he sells guns? He told me. Besides, why else would an ATF man be after him? Well, how can you help us? Well, hey, I'll do anything I can to help you get his ass. Short of wearing a wire. And in return for my help, I need permission to leave the country on immunity. Well, you don't want much, do you? Can you do it or not? You know what I mean? It's possible. One of the common denominators for most fans of Tarantino films is the great dialogue. It's always well-written and deliberate. He's one of the few directors to blend dialogue and action seamlessly in his films, which of course is a very difficult balancing act. Also, that last scene when Max and Jackie talk and Max discussed that he had worked on in his hair to make him look more youthful, that was actually suggested by Robert Forrester. Forrester actually did have surgery when his hairline began to disappear and he thought it fit the character. Tarantino was delighted that Forrester was willing to openly discuss the procedure and immediately wrote it into the screenplay. We then cut back to Ordell's place where Melanie continues to smoke weed and watch television. Ordell gets a call from Jackie and leaves while Lewis stays with Melanie. Oh, that other picture, that green one? Yeah. That was taken at that place called yeah, Flippers. Yeah. Remember that? It was in Hollywood. Were you in L.A. then? No. Where were you? I was in Detroit. With Ordell? Yeah, we had done some time already. Mm-hmm. You, uh... Disco guy? Yeah. Come on, don't lie. No, I wasn't. I didn't like to dance. Uh. Oh. Were you ever in one? 
Well, I went to a few just to meet women, but they're so loud. And, and I like to dance. And during that whole scene, I just drank in bars usually. So we didn't make the cut. Well, that's a picture of me in Japan. Whose arm is that? Uh, that's the guy that I live with. His name was Hiro... Hiro 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 Hiroshi. Well, I must have made quite an impression. <laughs> Count cheese. Uh, I never got to know him, really. You know, I couldn't speak any Japanese, and his English was terrible, but, you know, what am I going to say? His English is better than my Japanese, you know? It sounds like a problem. Not really. I mean, we didn't have that much to say to each other anyway. Mm -hmm. I never really got to know him, but I knew enough to know that I wasn't missing much, so... Anyway, I keep that picture because of all the fucking time I was there. That's the only picture I've got of me in Japan. Oh. That's Japan. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I can... Yeah, it looks... I can tell. Wanna fuck? Yeah. And three minutes later, Lewis has finished having sex with Melanie, and they move on with their day. Max decides to buy a Delphonics cassette, and Ordell meets with Jackie about their plan to get his money out of Mexico. This place, this all right. About two minutes from your crib, ten minutes from the gig. What's your drink, bad. brother? Uh, let me get a screwdriver home. How you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Yes, you are. <laughs> Damn, I bet you come in here on a Saturday night. You need nigger repellent to keep the motherfuckers off your ass. Oh, I do okay. Bullshit, Jackie. You a fine motherfucker. I bet you do a damn sight better than okay. You think anybody followed you? I don't think so. But it don't matter because they already know I'm meeting you. How the fuck they know that? I told them. You told them? 325. Here, keep it. Thank you, sir. You told them? You told them it's me? They already know it's you. Well, goddamn, that don't mean you got to confirm it. Look, the only way they're going to give me permission to fly is if I agree to help them, which is what I have to appear to be doing. So I might as well give them somebody they already know. You. You tell them anything else? Yeah, you got a half a meal in Mexico and you want me to bring it in? God you told them all that? It's true, ain't it? What the fuck that got to do with anything? They know I'm delivering for you. I told them about the half meal, they could give a fuck about it. All they want to do is catch your ass with guns. So I said, look, you want proof he's getting paid for selling them? Let me bring in the money. And they said? Yes. <sighs> What's the matter? I mean, that's, that's what we discussed last night. You know, this shit seeming kind of rescue now, you know? Fuck this. Now, let me lay it all out to you, okay? I make two deliveries. The first with 10,000, you know, like a dry run. They watch it, see how it works. Then the second delivery, I come in with a half mil. Mm-mm-mm. See, that's too much exposure. I ain't going nowhere near that money. You don't have to. I told him you never pick up the money yourself. You always send someone, and I never know who it is. Mm. That's a good idea. If you listen, it's a damn good idea. Now, the first time I do it, they're looking around. They see me hand the 10000 to someone. Who? I don't know. A friend of yours. Like a woman? If you want. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking a woman. But wait a minute. If they're going to let you go, 
How come we don't bring all the cash in the first time? Because I don't trust him. Now, the next trip, when I bring in the half mills, it's going to look like I'm doing the same thing as I did before. But you don't? No, I hand it to someone else first. Hmm. And they followed the wrong one, thinking she bring the money to me. Hey, that's the idea. So we're going to need two women. Can you cover that? Yeah, yeah, I got the women covered. Where you plan on pulling this off? The Delamo Mall, the food court. And I suppose you see a piece of this for yourself. <laughs> it's my plan. We're in this together. Yeah, but it's my money and I don't need no fucking partners. I ain't your partner. I'm your manager. And I'm managing to get your money out of Mexico into America in your hands. And I'm managing to do it all under the nose of the cops. So therefore, I'm your manager and a manager gets 15%. No. Manager get 10%. <laughs> no, that's an agent. A manager gets... 10. No, no. A manager gets... 15%, agent gets 10, I'm getting 15%, okay? All right? I'm gonna give you is 10. And the same deal as before. I can do that. And while Jack and Ordell bargain, Melanie plants a seed with Lewis to double-cross Ordell and take the money once it arrives from Mexico. Lewis decides to talk to Ordell about Melanie later that night. Can I ask you a question? Oh, man. Come on, you ain't gonna get serious on me while we're in here chilling now, is you? No, it's just about Melanie. Oh, you know what? I'm real sorry about that, man, but I had to be somewhere all of a sudden. I figured, oh, shit, Lewis ain't had no pussy for a while, so I thought I'd let him kick it here with Mel. So what you say? She ain't have to say shit. I know Melanie. That bitch gonna be fucking you two minutes after I'm out the door. Melanie real good about throwing the fucking niggas away. I mean, she ain't no damn good at it, but she likes to fuck. No, so she ain't your girlfriend. That what you thought? No, I wasn't sure. No. But you fucked her anyway, though, huh? Well, yes. The not your girlfriend part I, I felt more about. Uh-huh. Well, I hope you felt appropriately guilty afterwards. Afterwards, I did. <laughs> You know, she just one of the bitches I got set up. I got Mel over in Hermosa Beach, and I rent this little place for Simone over in Compton, where you staying. Mm-hmm. And about four blocks away, I got this young 19-year-old country girl named Sharonda. I found her on a bus stop two days out of Georgia, barefoot, country as a chicken coop. Took her to my place in Compton, told her it was Hollywood. You told <laughs> She believed you? Hell yeah. <laughs> that dumb country ass Compton is Hollywood. Closest she ever been anyway. But, but you trust Melanie around your business? Uh, <laughs> she trying to play your ass against me, ain't she? Yeah, man. Uh-huh. See, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. See, you ain't have to say nothing. I know that bitch. No, I don't understand why you keep someone around your business and you can't even trust them. I ain't got to trust her. I know her. Mm, I don't know what that means, man. Well, you can't trust Melanie. But you can always trust Melanie to be Melanie. Well, I, I don't understand why you keep the fuck around. I told you, man. She my fine little surfer gal. You know, she ain't pretty as she used to be, and she bitch a whole lot more than she used to. But she white. 
Jackie meets Ordell at the mall the next day to discuss their plans. Ordell ends up going shopping, and Jackie ends up running into Max at the food court, though Ordell sees them together. Surprise. I walk right past you. I know, ignoring me. So what are you up to? Just catching a movie. What'd you see? What the fuck is up with this shit? I called you last night. I know, I got your message. Ray wanted to have dinner with me so we can, you know, talk about the sting we're plotting. That's what he calls it, the sting. He's been, he's been real nice. You think he's got a thing for you? Maybe. But I'm thinking it's something more like he wants the money for himself. Has he hinted around? No, he just tries to act cool. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. He's just a young guy having fun being a cop. I know the type. Trust me on this. He's more interested in Ardell than he is in the money. If he does anything suspect, it'll be cutting corners to get the conviction. But he wouldn't walk off with the money. It's evidence. And what about you, Max? What? If I was in Nicolette's place? No, I mean you right now. Not if you were somebody else. If I saw an opportunity to walk away with a shopping bag full of money, would I take it? You know where it came from. It's not like it's somebody's life savings. It wouldn't even be missed. Half a million dollars will always be missed. You're avoiding the question, Max. Okay, sure, I guess I'd be tempted. Especially now since I'm getting out of the bail bond business. Why? A lot of reasons. I guess the main one would be, uh, I'm tired of it. When did you decide? Been a long time coming, but uh, finally made up my mind. I guess it was Thursday. Mr. Brown? Yes? I'm Max Cherry, your bail bondsman. The night you got me out of jail? Yeah. I went to pick up this guy. I hear he's staying at a house, and uh, I sneak in, and I'm waiting for him. Oh, wait a minute. After we were together, you snuck into a guy's house? Yeah. Went back to my office and found out that you took my gun, got another gun and the stun gun, went to this guy's house in El Monte and waited for him to come home. What do you do when he comes home? Shoot him with the stun gun. While he's incapacitated, uh, you cuff him and take him to county. You do that? That's my job. Did you do that that night? Well, the guy never came home. But I'm sitting on his couch in the dark, holding my stun gun. The whole house smells of cat pee. And after a couple of hours, I think, what am I doing this? It's 19 years of this shit? And I make up my mind. That's it. I'm not sure you answered my question, Max. Which one? If you had the chance, unemployed now, to walk away with a half million dollars, would you take it? 
Now, both Pam Greer and Robert Forster are so perfectly cast for the roles, as I mentioned. You can't help but be enthralled with every word Greer says, and Forster just seems like one of those rare down-to-earth nice guys in a business full of dirtbags and thieves. The next day, Jackie does a trial run of the money drop, $10,000. She does this under the watch of Rand Mark. The exchange is to take place at the mall food court again. The woman making the exchange with Jackie is Sharonda, the southern woman that Ordell picked up and is another pseudo-girlfriend of his. Max watched the whole trial run as well, as Jackie asked them to be there. What Max sees is another player in the game, who swaps Sharonda's bag while she's not being followed by the detectives. This was done by Ordell as a safety plan to make sure he's not being double-crossed. Jackie would be in the clear with the cops for doing her job, and Ordell still gets his money. Or possibly, Jackie would get the money, if she can outsmart Ordell. What? Jackie Brown. It ain't like I'm asking you to go somewhere in the night. I just want you to go out for a little while while I work this deal. Oh, so now you go power. Now it's gonna take her 20 minutes, find a purse, look for a sandal, find her sunglasses, get out of here. Oh, Jackie, Louis, Louis, Jackie. That chick you saw stomping around in the back there, that's Melanie who's about to leave. Take off like a crotchy rabbit. Have a good time there, baby. Don't burn now. No, I'm gonna talk to you now outside. Now. Mm-hmm. I stepped in my office. Why? Today I follow Audrey Hill Clayton on the back. I cut my truck. is going to stop me at the airport and mark your bills. Now, I don't like that part. It washes off. Now, I tell them we do the same thing as before, and they'll follow Sharonda. <laughs> Yo, Louis. Louis, she ain't there? Yo, no answer? Now, you got to listen to this, man, because this concerns you, all right? Lou. Mm-hmm. Okay, now. This time, you're going to get Sharonda billing for the bag, right? Right. The same one Simone gives me, okay? Now, Simone and I make the switch in Billingsley. Now, she, she knows what I look like, right? Well, she's seen you with Sharonda, remember? All right, now, right. Simone going to meet you in the dress department, right? Right. Designer clothes. Right, 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 right. Place y'all trash it on. Uh, it's a fitting room. Big sign over the door, you can't miss it. Okay, well, um, <clears throat> why over there? Because they're going to be watching my ass hard. That's why we can't take the risk in doing it out in the open or even in the dining area. That's why we got to do it in the fitting room with a woman. Okay, now, you're going to take the Billingsley bag Simone gives you and give it to Sharonda, okay? Right. And Simone going to wait. And she's going to peep out the dressing room, wait on you to give her the sign that ain't nobody watching. And she's going to leave the stove, get in the car. Mission accomplished. <laughs> 
See? So, where you gonna be doing all this? Well, now that you got them watching my ass, I'm gonna be in a titty bar downtown waiting on Lewis to call me, tell me everything's cool. <laughs> I, I got to go. Hey. Jackie meets with Ray to discuss the plan. Jackie later discusses what she told Ray. Basically, she has to outsmart the cops and Ordell. If she can pull off the job, she's free and clear with half a million of dirty money. And if she doesn't pull off stealing the money, well, she's free and clear with the cops because she did her part of working with them. All right, there's plenty left. About an hour, which includes a number of surprises and the actual drop and the outcome. The way the money exchange scenes are shot are awesome, and Tarantino shows the same scenes of the heist multiple times, but from different points of view from each character involved. It's terrific. As usual with Tarantino films, the acting is superb, top-notch dialogue. He includes hidden gems when it comes to the musical selections for the soundtrack, and for this particular film, a great caper story. So if normally you're not a fan of Tarantino's traditionally violent flicks, I think this is a perfect film to start with. Also, if you're a fan of soul music from the 1960s and 70s, I am, and also from artists that aren't as well known than what most films use, definitely check out this soundtrack. It's fabulous. You get Bobby Womack, the Delphonics, Bill Withers, the Brothers Johnson, and many others. Okay, there were deleted scenes, but the best deleted scene is an improv between Pam Greer and Michael Keaton when they're eating dinner. Greer actually cracks up Keaton at the end. Odell has a guy working for him named Lewis. You two meet? Yeah, this afternoon before I came here. He was at Odell's apartment in Hermosa Beach. Yeah. I don't know if he lives there, but I can find out. You talk to him? Not really. Name Lewis Guy. Just did four years up in Susanville. For what? Bank robber. We've been following him. He definitely works for Adele. Wonder where, uh, wonder where that garçon is. Garçon means boy. Anything else I can get you this can you evening? Get me a fresh one of those. I think we're out there. Sure. Thanks. Thanks. So what's Madame mean? What's the difference between Madame and Madame? Well, one's married and one's not. Is that right? And one's hotter and the other one's not so hot. So who hits the whorehouse? Who hits the whorehouse? No, who's the head of the whorehouse, the madame? Oh, the, the madam. Madam. Madame and madame the mademoiselle. It's all mm. different. One's French and one's a hoe. What's madame is... <laughs> <laughs> all right, some fun facts. Robert Forrester was nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, but he lost to Robin Williams for the film Good Will Hunting. Pam Greer and Samuel L. Jackson were both nominated for Golden Globes for Best Actress and Actor. They both lost out to the actors for the same film, As Good As It Gets, Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt. So when Pam Greer walked in to audition for Quentin Tarantino, she was quoted as saying, there were all my posters from 20 years ago when I was just a piss and vinegar kid, she recalled. And as I said, did you just put these up because I was coming over? And he said, no, I was going to take them down because you were coming over. When Robert De Niro first got a hold of the script, he wanted to play the role of Max Cherry. Quentin Tarantino wanted to work with De Niro, but he had his heart set on Robert Forrester as Cherry, so he gave the role of Lewis to De Niro. Now, in the novel, Jackie's last name is Burke. Tarantino changed her last name to Brown as a nod to Pam Greer's most notable character from the 70s, Foxy Brown. Sylvester Stallone originally wanted to play Lewis, while John Travolta was the first choice to play Ray Nicolette. Christina Applegate was considered for the role of Melanie, but she was under contract for Married with Children at the time. Tarantino's list for Max Cherry was Paul Newman, Gene Hackman, John Saxon, and Robert Forrester. 
Now, there's been a lot of talk to whether Danny DeVito made an uncredited cameo appearance during the opening title sequence of this movie. DeVito knew Tarantino well because he was the executive producer of Pulp Fiction. So check for yourself if you think the short man in a white shirt with a black cap on his head is Danny DeVito. Well, freeze frame the short cameo appearance during the opening title sequence at about 1 minute and 50 seconds. All right, you should also check out, if you're a fan of podcasts, obviously you are, you're listening to this, you need to listen to the TCM podcast, The Plot Thickens, and specifically season four, which covers the life of Pam Greer. It is incredibly well done and hosted by Ben Mankiewicz and offers everything you would want to know about Pam Greer's career. Really, really highly recommended. All right, also recommended is always listening to the Rock and Metal Combat podcast with Ralph Vieira and my special guest, Ian Wadley. He joins me to talk about his love of Jackie Brown and, of course, Tarantino films in general. He's terrific as always, so enjoy. And I'll be back next week with yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Pleasure to be here, man. Love this show and love any chance I can talk about my favorite Quentin Tarantino film. That's right. That's right, which I just found out. But I knew you loved the film, but what we'll... We'll get into that in a bit. Uh, the first question I have is, this is Tarantino's third film, so I'm assuming that you saw Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction before Jackie Brown. Yes, yes. I was a, a huge fan. I actually, how I discovered him, I I grew up about 50 minutes south of Chicago. Okay. And I went into the city to see Days to Confused because it was only playing at an art theater there at the time. Mm. Uh, it didn't have like a wide release, didn't get released in my town. Uh, you know, it got a little buzz after it came out, but I had heard about it first, but I had to go in the city to see it. And so I was at this cool little art theater and they showed a preview for Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, wow, this looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, I didn't make the trip back to the city to see it in the theaters, but I, I saw it immediately when it came out on home video. Okay. And uh, was blown away. And then, of course, I was there first day for Pulp Fiction. Saw that twice in the theater, once tripping my balls off. <laughs> Unf- unfortunately, I peaked during the gimp scene. Uh, <laughs> tr- tr- true story. But then eagerly uh, awaited Jackie Brown. I mean, okay. not only because of, you know, the first two movies, from a small child, I was a huge fan of black exploitation. Right. And I, right. I, I knew this this was his homage to that. And uh, so I was... I just couldn't wait. I was there Christmas Day, uh, mm-hmm. went sought by myself. I was like, I'm going to fuck what day it is, man. I'm going to see this shit. <laughs> uh, and I just, I loved it. I loved it right off the bat, and I got it. I know a lot of people didn't, and I, I still don't get that. I still get surprised when I see stuff on YouTube where people do a ranking. And uh, more more times than not, it's, it's usually put towards the bottom and I just don't get it. And, you know, it really, uh, fucked Tarantino up. Uh, I remember, uh, for those young or old enough to remember, uh, there was quite a long time before this came out on home video. Yeah. And, uh, he even said, I remember getting the VHS, um, when it came out and he said he did that on purpose, you know, mm-hmm. cuz he was kind of he wanted people to miss it. He was pissed at the reception. Yeah, that's when you really saw the ego of Tarantino cuz by the time he put up another one, there was that pretentious the fourth film by Quentin right. Tarantino. <laughs> I I always hated that and I remember Stephen King called him out for that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, 
you know, who in the fuck are you? You know, the fourth film by moi, you know, <laughs> and I mean, don't get me wrong. I think he deserves all the, the accolade, but I think it's gone to his head. Sure. Uh, just like this whole decision, like I'm only going to end at 10 because I don't want to, you know, I want to leave a string of perfect movies. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that sucks too, man, because we need more of his movies, not less. Absolutely. You know? I was just going to say, but then again, I don't know. I could almost kind of see it because in my eyes, he's never put out a bad movie. And, sure. you know, how, how many people can say that? You know, Spielberg's got quite a few always and hooks and uh, sure. 1941s in his closet, you know. Uh, <laughs> no, I do like that one, too. <laughs> you know, I, I do, too. But, you know, as far as reception and stuff. Sure. But, sure. Uh, you know, I, I think he's even better track record than Scorsese. But oh, yeah. then, again, then again, he doesn't put out that many films, you know. Mm -hmm. Kubrick did the same thing. I mean, Jesus, think how many more Kubrick films we could have got, oh, you know. Yeah. But then again, would they have all been what they are? Who knows? That's right. You know? No, you're, uh, that's a very valid point. So before we actually get into Jackie Brown, um, what is your second favorite Tarantino film? And why do you like Jackie Brown more than that one? Um, man, that, that, is, that is a tough question. Um, I would probably have to go with Reservoir Dogs. Okay. Uh, just for the game changer it was and, and the lasting impact. And I mean, I know Pulp Fiction is, is what he'll probably most be remembered for. And, and I get that because mm -hmm. that, that was even more like mind bending and, and, and breaking the rules and more just more people saw it, you know, sure. than, than Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs just, I mean, it was, you know, steeped in, in what he was inspired by, but it was still his own vision. And uh, I, I never tire of it. Never. Uh, I can watch it over. But I'm, I'm like that with all of his films. Uh, there was only two films of his that I didn't get the first time, and then I still ended up loving both of those. So mm -hmm. uh, to me, he's perfect. Uh but yeah, Reservoir Dogs is just, you know, just beat you over the head and, and you know, it's use of, of music and cinematography and, uh, you know, God, his relationship with Sally Menke, you know, yep. that's a, his Thelma Schumacher, you know, that's right. <laughs> and uh, and just the way they work together is incredible. Yeah, agreed. So I'm glad you brought up black exploitation. You and I are huge fans of 70s black exploitation films and, and part of Greer was easily one of the biggest stars of that uh, genre of film. So what are your some of your favorite black exploitation films? Not necessarily just Pam Greer, but in general. I love Shaft. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and actually, I end up I always end up watching Shaft's big score even mm. more. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I was, I'm so excited. Criterion's putting out um, Shaft on 4K. Oh, wow. Which is great. And they're also putting uh, Shaft's big score comes with it on a Blu-ray. Now Great. I already have I already have a Blu-ray collection of all three of the the major release films. I'd love to get the Shaft uh, series mm -hmm. on Blu-ray too. I think you could get it on DVD, but not Blu-ray. But uh, I'm wondering if the Shaft's big score is going to be a new transfer, if it's going to be the same one from Warner Brothers, because mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure it wasn't too polished up. But no. know, I don't know, it might it might just be a bonus. But yeah, Shaft, I love uh, uh, the Mac. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, uh, Coffee, Foxy Brown. Uh, one I really like that doesn't get as much attention is Willie Dynamite. Yeah. Uh, 
I love that one. That's got uh, what's he was on Sesame Street, and it's so funny to see him as a pimp. Yeah, uh, but, <laughs> I can see uh, his face. Yeah, yeah, the the, the bearded black guy, him and yeah. his wife were on uh, Sesame Street. Yeah, he plays a pimp in it. Uh, I, I just love that one. Um, Across 110th Street. Oh yeah, what uh, a soundtrack too. Oh yeah, uh, Superfly, of course. Yep. Um, God, uh, there's there's just so many, and and even the bad ones, I still find, you know, something to, uh, you know, enjoying them. And it, it's funny, you know, uh, my wife asked me, you know, why do you like these movies so much? <laughs> and and I, and I said, because there's no bullshit about them. No. Uh, you know, there's no pretension. It, it, it's there's always a. A revenge tale, you know, a getting over on the man and yep. and, and titties and shooting and, and <laughs> drugs. It's just there, there's something pure about it in, in the simplicity of it. And they've always got great soundtracks. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I always love the, the, the clothes, the dialogue, even when it's bad, it's still good. You know? Oh, yeah. And yeah, I mean, the, I just I, I think they're phenomenal. And I love uh, that so many of them are made available now you know yeah. not always in the best transfer condition but you know if if you search you know you can find a lot of these and and then that makes me happy that they don't just go away yeah even some yeah. the the lesser like like black gestapo and, and black <laughs> and black shampoo you know yeah. but yeah black gestapo you, you know you got a you got a black exploitation and a nazi exploitation movie all wrapped into one uh, uh you know how could you go wrong well, that's why I'm uh, so happy that Eddie Murphy did the Dolomite um, things. I think it introduced a lot of people to to Rudy Ray Moore. Oh yeah, and I, I've got all of those, and I got the the, the vinegar syndrome, uh, yeah, the, the box and everything. Uh, you know, huge fan of the Rudy Ray Moores. Uh, it, it, it's just great shit, and it's great put on. You know, turn off your brain and enjoy. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, I, I love all things seventies. You know, it's <laughs> just a, a cool. A cool era, you know, visually, sonically, nah, it's just great shit. And who doesn't love seeing, you know, the man getting fucked over? Absolutely, know, yeah. it's a, it's a oh, classic story arc oh, for these plots. Another great one, Truck yep. Turner. Yeah, I love yes. that one. And Ohura is a badass uh, uh, prostitute slash pimp in it. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, there's there's so many. That, oh yeah, Black, you know, Black Caesar because I mean. James oh Brown yeah, Black, yep. yeah, Black Caesar and the and the sequel Hell Up in Harlem. Yeah, uh, I love Slaughter and Slaughter's Big Ripoff. Y- yeah, another great soundtrack. Yeah, I, I got I got both of those. Uh, I, I've got so many. I've probably got about forty. Now for uh, Pam Greer, I I th- I actually think Friday Foster might be the best one uh, for acting at least. Uh, where where do you go for Pam Greer? What what's your favorite? Um, of course it's it you know it's a one two punch of. Uh, coffee and and foxy brown but okay no, i love friday foster and and uh what i mean there's there's other ones she did like the arena and uh what was a uh, was sheba baby yeah sheba baby uh god and uh well there's uh the whole other genre of women in prison movies right <laughs> that was kind you of know. early stuff yeah yeah you know the old roger corman shit yep uh you know and the api pictures and stuff and and i i love all that shit and yeah. I, I, I was raised on it. It's just time. There, there's so much, especially in an era now. You know, I find myself doing the same thing with music I do with movies. Mm-hmm. 
you know, just going backwards when you're yeah. getting handed what you're getting handed now, rather than waste my time. I, I'm just going to go back because there's so much shit. Um, you know, but one of my favorite lines ever uh, is Bono in in the song God Part Two. Mm-hmm. He, he said, yeah, "You glorify the past when the future dries up." It's a great line. <laughs> and, great and maybe, line. Maybe that you know, there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, I do love these movies, but it's like. You know, I, I don't worry about staying current anymore no. when I see the, the current state of music and movies. Not to say that there's not great ones, you know. I was really happy with uh, the last Paul Thomas Anderson, Licorice Pizza. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I mean, he's somebody, you know, came out the same era as Tarantino. And, yeah. you know, Heart Eight, Boogie Nights. I'm a huge, huge Magnolia fan, which, you know, a lot of people are divided on. Mm-hmm. But... He's even been kind of hit or miss for me, and I, I thought he was really back on track with Licorice Pizza. Okay, um, yeah, I don't, I don't. I've said this before. I don't need to chase the dragon for new films anymore. There's, there's a hundred years worth of films that I haven't seen. Everything I can go back and discover a new movie. It's like a new, it's, it's like a new movie to me, and I think people should do that. So, um, this is arguably Pam Greer's finest performance, I think, in any film or TV role she's ever had, and I think part of the credit has to be given to. Tarantino for writing a role that perfectly fit her. So when you saw her on screen, we were like, man, she she is like so far beyond her acting chops that she was in the 70s. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, but I, I love that he knew she had it in her, you know, yeah. and I I think she was right. She didn't even get the nomination, if I remember correctly. Right. Right. Was it a shame? Yeah. Robert yeah. Forster did. But yeah. Yeah. And uh, and just the great performances all around. And I love that, you know, you got somebody as big a star as like De Niro, but he's playing that small of a role, but still yes. an important role, you know, kind of mm-hmm. like what, you know, what Willis did in Pulp Fiction. But I, I think De Niro's was probably even less screen time if you add it all up. Oh, I agree. Uh, but just phenomenal. And, and it just a, a testimony to how actors want to work with them, that they would do that and they would step down. I always thought it, it was such horseshit when uh, Will Smith turned down Django. Right. Because he, he said, I feel the star of this film is, is the dentist. You know, mm-hmm. and if I'm going to be in this, I want to be the star. And I am not a Jamie Foxx fan at all, but I, I think he knocked it out of the park at Django. So oh, he totally did. So it, it all worked out. But God, can, can you imagine the ego of somebody turning down? Like, well, like I know Beatty turned down the part of Bill. Yeah. But I can almost see that you're Warren Beatty, even though it don't mean shit to me. Uh, you know, I, I think if, you know, if he looked like Dustin Hoffman, he wouldn't be Warren Beatty. Uh, but, <laughs> true, true. <laughs> you know, but, uh, I could almost see that. Okay. You are considered Hollywood royalty, even though you ain't done shit for me in a long time. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but for somebody like Will Smith to turn down Tarantino, I'm like, you gotta be out of your fucking mind. Oh, I agree. Well, we saw yeah. Will Smith's thrown his true, some his true crowers lately. Um, yeah. He wouldn't have done that shit if I told that joke. I'll tell you what. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, I think that the, also the brilliance of of uh, Tarantino is not going with the most popular actor, as you said, like getting Robert Forster, who is at best a, a little-known character actor for most of his career uh, to most people. But, man, he he is so perfect in this role. Oh, yeah, and, and just the way he doesn't try uh, to overdo it. I mean, you, no. could kind of, you could kind of see, especially somebody where his career was, yeah. like maybe try to go too overboard to, you know, hey, I'm here, 
you know, you know, you know, I'm here. Look at me. Look at me. He just mm-hmm. played it perfectly. But, you know, he always knows who to pick out. I mean, and look what he did with uh, the great Michael Parks. Yeah. You know, is you know, another actor that could do anything, but unfortunately was relegated to a lot of direct to home video shit, you know, come the 80s and the same yeah. way with Robert Forrester. You, could you think of anybody else as Max Cherry? No. No. And, and and then you know Samuel Jackson is I, I think that's probably his best performance. Agree. You know, you know I I think he does ten times more with that than he did with Jules, and not to take anything away from Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. but just incredible. And, and I mean even smaller like Chris Tucker. Yeah. You, you know Chris Tucker is perfect in that. He is. You know, and and, uh, like, uh, and getting Michael Keaton who who wasn't like. A- low career at this point i mean he's only a few years off of batman so yeah right but but then again you know what 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 the hell was he doing around then multiplicity that's true uh, that is true it, it, you know but he you know he played it perfect uh yeah the guy who played his partner the guy the guy who was the asshole in valley girl and yeah and he, he played buck in uh in kill bill you yeah. know i love that he picks actors like that that you know are perfect for those parts yeah, or, and, um, and gives him another chance. Absolutely, and and or Max Cherry's partner Winston, who is uh, Debo in Friday. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, no, perfect casting, perfect dialogue. Uh, you know, complaints that I heard. Uh, some people said it was too slow, wasn't enough action. But I just thought it was a very, it was perfect. You're, you're dealing with characters who are in their. You know, you know, middle age, late forties, early fifties, yeah. and it was a perfect story for those characters. And 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 to me, uh, you know, I wasn't bored at all. You know, it wasn't supposed to be Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs. You know, it was a more mature story. And uh, you know, and, and the job he did and the changes he made from the Elmore Leonard novel Rum Punch, mm-hmm. you know, were were perfect and tailor made for you know his vision. I'm glad you, you know, up, did you read Rum Punch? No, I, I mean, I know I, I I haven't read it, but I know what was changed in it. And mm-hmm. uh, and I think he made the right choice. And even Elmore Leonard, you, you know, when you get that from the author saying, oh, yeah, I loved what he did. That's right. It, you know, how many times does Stephen King, you fucked up my shit, you know? Oh, my God. And you uh, get Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I love Maximum Overdrive. I do, too. I do, too. Um, <laughs> You know what I mean? But when you've got somebody who is an accomplished screenwriter as well, you know, you're in good hands. Yes. You know, uh, and and I, I think he had great respect for the novel. Uh, but, you know, he also knows the difference between what works on the page and what works on the screen. And and then also what serves the, the actors that you choose for it. That's right. They're completely two different entities screen screenplays and, and novels so i mean i'm glad you brought up the the dialogue i mean tarantino films are known for their dialogue but it's so unique in the sense that you have, have almost, almost all of his movies are are very long but they never feel long but they're also dialogue heavy i mean i know they have, there's action but uh, i don't think anybody writes better dialogue in the modern era than tarantino um but speaking well, I, of yeah go ahead I, I i think when it comes to modern dialogue you know the two people who stick out are Tarantino and Rob Zombie, one for the right reasons and one for the wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like, like Rob Zombie is somebody like, I love what he does visually. Sure. I, I, I think he has talent, but 
nobody talks like that, you know, and, and some people complain the same thing about Tarantino movies, you know, that nobody's that wordy, but you know, there, there's something articulate, and then there's total, like, oh, you know, Rob Zombie's the, the total opposite end of that spectrum, you know, like in the worst possible way that sure. nobody talks, so, um, but, but hey, I love, uh, you know, Nazi werewolves of the, or werewolf women <laughs> of the SS is awesome. That should be a full-length movie, goddammit. There you go. I, I agree. Um, yeah, but John Hughes used to get that same knock on him for his, you know, his teen movies. You know, kids don't talk like this, but that, those movies, you know, stand the, the, the test of time. So, uh, but the question I wanted to ask you is, so the way Tarantino filmed the the last, the heist, uh, I just brilliant. I mean, the fact that he did it three different perspectives of the same scene. When you first saw that, were you like, holy shit, this is really amazing how he did this. Oh, yeah. And see, now that's something that's a wonderful way to translate a book. Yeah. Where where, you know, you know, in a, in a book, you, you know, you register different. I used to be a big reader uh, mm-hmm. before my, my alcoholism progressed. <laughs> uh, but I, I know that there's there, that's why some books are so hard to translate, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and especially without like a like a narration, you know, right. like you would see in a film noir kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um you know, because in a book you see what's going on in the character's head, you know, and you get their perspective, you know, their inner thoughts as well as their outer dialogue. Right. And, and and you can get things like this where, you know, all the different perspectives, but it played out perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like sometimes you see somebody adapt something that was a play and it just feels sterile like a play. Yeah. And 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 then sometimes you know you know you get an adaptation like like Glengarry Glenn Ross. Oh, brilliant. Where where yeah, brilliant, you know, but then you know that's David Mamet doing David Mamet. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Good point. Very good point. Yeah, you know, but but to me that doesn't feel like a play. The way it unfolded was was perfect and and just enriches the story and the different aspects and again I never feel like it's the runtime that it is and no. I never want I never want it to be over and that's that's the best sign, you know. I just went and saw the re-release of The Godfather in the theaters, uh-huh. and you know that's a long movie, but I didn't want that fucker to end. As soon as it was over, I was like, okay, start two, start two. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm like the way with the Blues Brothers, you know, when they added the additional scenes. I'm like, you give me right. 15 more minutes, I'd be happy. So. Yeah, just cut it off before Blues Brothers 2000. Oh, exactly. <laughs> All right, Which I, I, I yeah, go ahead. still to this day refuse to see. I've never seen it, and I never will. Uh, you know, I saw it in the theater because I, you know, Sucker. it was, uh, it was, it was music was good. Uh, the movie, no, no, uh, favorite scenes. Yeah. I, this might be tough for you and, J- and Jackie Brown. What are you, what are some of your standout scenes that you still, you know, that pop into your mind? Oh, uh, well, without a doubt, the Chris Tucker scene, <laughs> uh, you know, he's like, you catch a nigga off guard with this shit, you know, <laughs> brilliant. It was an ad lib line. It works perfect. Yep. Uh, you know, I also love the you know the part where he brings De Niro out to see the you know the body, and he tells him, you know, this guy, you know, ain't nobody get between me and what I got to do. Right. Uh, you know, that's great. I love uh, uh, De Niro and Bridget Fonda when she's just like antagonizing him, you know, until he yes. finally shoots. Spoiler alert. Um, yeah. Oh my God, that the slow burn that in De Niro in uh, just his face, so good. Oh, yeah. You know, and Bridget Fonda, another one perfect in that, you know, totally, you know, almost any scene with Robert Foster in there sticks out to me. Yeah, Uh, just uh, I I love the, the, 
you know, the the slow scene where, where she's coming out when he's going to pick her up and just the way he looks at her and with the yep. music, I think, is a beautifully shot scene. Uh, you know, and even little basic scenes like where where he goes and to the record store to get a cassette of the Delphonics after, yes. her, you know. Uh, I mean, shit like that, you know. I love I love when uh, Samuel Jackson goes over to Jackie's house and you know and she she has the gun on him. I think that's a great scene. Yep. Uh, any uh, I love the interactions with uh, with Michael Keaton and her. You know yep. where she thinks she can play him like everybody else, but you know he's you know just how sharp he is and he doesn't fall under her spell. I love that dynamic because it would have been real easy to where he's just like Ooh, you know oogling over, but but you you see how. He's got his eyes on the prize. He's all about his job and, and totally uh, just very well done. I, I mean, I, I would go through the whole movie. I know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that, that, that's perfect. I, let's get into the soundtrack. Again, Tarantino is is like John Hughes and or Cameron Crowe in many ways where he's just he's you know, the music means so much to him and he picks out these perfect but usually I won't say little known, but forgotten gems that he brings back to to people that may not have heard them. So yeah, yeah. How do you, how do you feel about the soundtrack? And com- especially compared oh. to his other, to his others, uh, it's my favorite soundtrack by far. Oh really? Oh, really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They're all good, mm-hmm. but I just I just love the flow of it. And I mean that's a, that that's a fucking soundtrack. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> yes. you, you put that on like a Melanie song on there. Yeah. Uh, come inside me and shit oh my god um and and i love yeah yeah who is he and what does he mean to you i mean oh yep um i love the fucking johnny cash song and and i'm not i'm not a i'm not a big country fan but tennessee judd i i I can listen to that over and over Mm -hmm. and it it sticks out like a sore thumb but in a good way even the what's it uh the Little Kim song, I don't mind. and I, I'm not a big rap fan, but it just, mm-hmm. that, that whole album flows to me. And, oh, Fo- and, Foxy Brown. Foxy Brown, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fo- Foxy Brown, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, also, I've got an extended edition, like, like a like a fan-made one that has every song that's in the movie and oh, a lot cool. of the back and a lot of the background music and everything as well, too. I mean, that's yeah. another thing I love is a lot of music in his movies, some people might not realize it was background music from other movies, you know, That's that right. he took and, and put into it. And it's one of those rare instances where sometimes the, the, the songs, you know, have a theme and a certain timeline, but then there'll be something way out of it, but it makes sense, you know, kind of like how he threw, uh, you know, uh, cat people into uh, Inglorious <laughs> Bastards. Like, where the right. fuck, you know, but it worked. You know, it does. and yep. you know he, he's just a, a a genius. But yeah, that soundtrack, I first day buyer on that, and it's still always on. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. I won't update my phone because now these new phones that you get, you can't add an SD card to them. Right. And I and I've got like the the phone that I have now. I have a 512 gig uh, SD card, and I have mm-hmm. thousands of albums on my phone. I, I put albums on. I don't put. Uh, you know, just songs. Just, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not that Spotify minded. You know, <laughs> I I want to hear albums. God damn it. Which is but, why uh, we love you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I won't update my phone because of that. Because all I can think about is, oh, if I only have the storage that's on the phone, I can only have this much shit, and oh, I can't live like that. But 
you know, every phone, every, you know, whatever device, anywhere I'm at, I that's an album I have to have with me. And and, and just, I love how soundtracks have the dialogue as well. I, yes. I love hearing that because even though I have all these albums, I, I'll still do a random. And, mm-hmm. and just, I love it when all of a sudden you get that sound clip from that movie, you know, come on. And just like, oh, shit, I know what I'm watching tonight when I get home, you know. <laughs> No, it's true, and and I'm glad you brought up your phone because that's part of the reason I don't want to get a new car because it still has a CD player in it. You can't get a CD player in a car anymore, so that that's me. Um, so so final final thoughts. Um, oh, one thing I wanted to mention. I mean, this this film actually got me into Bobby Womack way back when. So or way back when for oh, me, I was yeah. still yeah, I was like 18, or you know, at the time. Oh, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So final thoughts. Uh, I just think it's his uh, his masterpiece. I don't think he'll ever do uh another film like it you know mm-hmm. yeah uh and everything's subjective i know i you know i'm an odd man out saying it's my favorite there are people out there that's their favorite but most of them you know I, I see a lot of people say once upon a time in hollywood's their favorite and i think that's great mm-hmm. uh, you know that that people you know the new shit that he's putting out they love just as much if not more than, than the old shit i think every, every everything he's done solid but to to me, it's it's just the perfect Tarantino movie for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, anybody who likes black exploitation, or if you're not that familiar with black exploitation, but you love this movie, check out the shit that inspired it. You know the yeah. type you know, the type of music, the type of you know revenge tales and stuff. I mean, and, it, it works and heist, great. Heist movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just it, it's fantastic. Stellar cast. I'll always know where I was on Christmas Day, 1997. <laughs> That's you know? right. Well, it's funny because Pulp Fiction for years was my favorite. And then the more I saw Jackie Brown, like it just gets better and better and better. And you appreciate more. It was my favorite until Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came. So uh, ah, you're one of them. You're one I of am them. one of them. But it's it's not by much. It's just I love what he did with that. Maybe it's because movies aren't that great anymore. And it just, you know, it was a nice. Well, and the odd so, yeah. thing is. That was one of the ones that uh, I didn't get the first time. Now, I, mm. I've talked about it before on, on my show. Mm-hmm. It, I, it was just a bad day. I had bad personal shit going on, and I think that tampered it, and probably sure. my blood alcohol level did too. <laughs> but that, that and Death Proof, um, mm. e- even though I liked them both, I think Death Proof was hard because I saw Grindhouse in the theaters. You right. know, I was there op- opening night. I knew what it was. I wasn't one of those idiots that walked out during the credits of fucking Planet Terror. <laughs> but I, I, I think Planet Terror just was so extreme and like wild right. and, and out there. And they're, they're, to- they're polar opposite movies. Yeah. I still love them, but I love that concept. And I, I wish it would have been successful because I would have loved to see more of those. And I, I think if it would have been a hit, you would have. But uh, but Death Proof, I you know I you know on, on rewatchings, particularly I think when they, uh, you know when they first released them and they released them both in the extended version, because mm-hmm. uh, I own them both. I on 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 Blu-ray, I have the original, you know the the theatrical version, and I have the extended of both. Mm-hmm. And I I think they're both better. And they're extended as separate movies, but I, I still love the experience of, you know, I love that the fact that there's missing reels in both of them, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and the theatrical, because I, I think that has its own charm of, of you know, in and of itself. Sure. Uh, but then watching them separately and extended, it you know, 
it's a more fulfilling experience as, as, as a separate entity. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, but both of those I grew to love too, but yeah, people crazy about once upon a time in Hollywood and I love it more and more every time I see it. There you uh, go. Much like every Tarantino, he's highly rewatchable in, in my opinion. Uh, you know, if I start any of his movies, I got to finish it. You know, yeah. if I turn on TV and it's on, yeah, it's like, okay, I'm sitting down. Well, I think that's it's a it's a nod to his great dialogue because you're gonna because there is so much dialogue you're gonna pick up more and more that you might have missed the first time. And, and and the funny thing is, probably you know when you say you know Tarantino and if you were even you know like ranking them, yeah, uh, I I would have to put at number three, True Romance. Wow, which he, okay, he, yeah, he, he even though yeah Tony Scott directed, I mean Tarantino's all over it. Right. And and, you know, to me, miles and miles away, the best Tony Scott film ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not that that's saying a whole hell of a lot, <laughs> you, you know, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited for the uh, the 4K that Arrow's putting out because mm-hmm. I missed out. I missed out on the special edition, the uh, the import. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad I I'm glad I waited because they, they were able to get the U.S. distribution rights back from Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. So now that's that's coming out at the end of June. Okay. And they have a beautiful 4k edition uh you know in a, in a hard box with a, with a like huge booklet and poster and uh you know i i've i've already saw reviews of the transfer the 4k transfer and they just say it's amazing are, are you uh, are you a 4k guy yet have you made the jump no i have not and uh i it's not that i won't i probably will when there's like you know 10k <laughs> But uh, I'm so happy with Blu-ray. Then, and look, right. you and I both grew up with, you know, <laughs> very low five, very low definition TVs. That right now Blu-ray is fine with me. But I think everyone raves about 4K, so eventually I will. Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you, the 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 best part about it is older films. Mm-hmm. Uh, because right now, if if something's on 4K, I'm not buying the Blu-ray. I'm buying right. the 4K. But on these modern digital films, you don't see the upgrade as mm. much. Okay. Uh, you, you know, you will hear it in the audio if you have a, a good audio system. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you'll definitely notice it. But man, what 4K can do to to older movies shot on film mm-hmm. uh, is incredible. There, there's been a few 4Ks put out that were like hastily put out and mostly ones by the big studios mm-hmm. early on that were notoriously bad, like, uh, the Terminator two 4k oh. transfer uh-huh. and, uh, and the Goodfellas transfer, uh, are, are known to not be very well, but man, a lot of these older ones, uh, it, it's, it's like seeing it for the first time. Yeah. You were it, saying about it, the jaws is like amazing. Oh, Oh, amazing. Uh, the things amazing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and even the, the stuff I get from the boutique labels, like seeing uh, Andy Warhol's Frankenstein <laughs> in 4K <laughs> was just like, holy. And that's something I saw in the theaters when it was re-released. Wow. And and, and I, I told Grandpa we could leave that, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, what the hell is it? Now I love it, of course. But Yeah. Uh, but yeah, when I was 10, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> this is terrible 3D. Um, <laughs> But uh, no, I, I think you know as much as you love movies, it, yeah. it's it's worth it. I know the okay. players are are a little bit pricey, uh, but I mean any TV you buy now, if you're going to replace your TV, it's going to be a 4K TV. Sure. Uh, 
get get the player. I would also recommend going with a region free player. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, arrow, because Arrow. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, Arrow does do a lot of you know they're they're really making their their name in America too, and yeah, uh, a lot more stuff's coming to America. But there is stuff like uh, I want to pick up. I, I I'm yet to get a, a region free, but it's in my wish list on Amazon. Okay, but like I I got the second sight uh, UK release of uh, Dawn of the Dead. Oh yeah, and yep. and the four K see four K is region free. Four four K oh. they, they can't they can't lock like they can Blu rays. Ah, but there you go. I've got a four disc edition and everything like all the special features are on a Blu ray, and I can't watch them. And there's a lot of movies that just don't have a U.S. release that you can get reasonably priced. You know, imports. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it just gives you more options because you're going to spend, you know, for a four K player. You're gonna spend around two two fifty. Sure, but but for three, you can get a region free. So okay, uh, you might as well I know do what, that. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know what my next one's gonna be. But yeah, you're a cinephile, an yeah. audio, audiophile. You, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. Could be a pedophile. I don't know. <laughs> Who am I to judge? Well, uh, look, you know? We clarified on a, on a previous episode that uh, uh, TV is more important than a car. You know, because you know you can during a pandemic you don't need to drive, but you need a TV. So. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I highly recommend that, and I can't wait, you know, to get more of the the Tarantino collection on on 4K. Of course, I have Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood, but again, that's a newer movie. Right. Uh, you don't see as much as you would on older ones. Now, I did hear, unfortunately, though, that the Inglorious Bastards left a little to be desired, and those are the only two Tarantinos on 4K, but. That was one done by uh, the studio. Okay. Because I, I forget who who all was in on Inglorious. I think that's one of the... It wasn't just Weinstein. Somebody else jumped on board with that, and they handled that, and uh, I don't think Tarantino had anything to do with it. Okay. Uh, of course, Once Upon a Time was Sony. Yeah. So Sony did... But, but Sony has an excellent track record for 4K, and it does... It looks beautiful to me. Okay, but yeah, I, I've heard. Don't you know? Every review I read said, "Don't if you already got the 4K, don't worry about getting." I mean, if you already got the Blu-ray, don't worry Blu-ray. about getting the 4K of of uh yeah of Inglorious. So okay, that, that's good to know. See, this is <laughs> I love how how in in the woods that Ian gets, and this is perfect because I've learned stuff too. So thank you for doing this, Ian. No problem. I'm happy to ramble anytime. If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video in San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday, and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Captain Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.